Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered ChampaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A new report out this fall from the Children's Agenda found that 15,306 kids were suspended from school at least once in the 2020-2021 school year, with students who are Black more likely to be suspended than their white peers, and students who are economically disadvantaged being 2 to 4.5 times more likely to get suspended than their classmates. For more on this data and recommendations on how discipline should be doled out in New York schools, we're joined by Eamon Scanlon, Education Policy Director for the Children's Agenda. Welcome to the Capitol Press Room. Thanks for having me, David. Well, I mentioned at the top uh, some of the top line findings from your report, but can you dig a bit deeper into the data for us? Uh, For example, how long are the suspensions that are being handed down? Uh, Do you have any sense of what kids are being suspended for? Uh, And is there any indication about the ages of kids getting suspended? Suspensions really uh, happen from all the way down to a three-year-old in in pre-K, early pre-K, to 12th grade. So it's throughout the spectrum, but most suspensions generally happen uh, in middle school and early high school. And in terms of length of suspensions, most suspensions are are short-term, which is one to five days, uh, but there are also long-term suspensions, which can be up to an entire school year, which is 180 days. So there's there's fewer of them, uh, but they they can be quite, quite long because there is no real cap. What does a three-year-old get suspended for? Well, that's really the question that we're, we're kind of po- posing with this report, because when we see, even though there are a small number of suspensions in pre-K uh, up through third grade, it, it's still hard to explain why this is happening. And usually it's for the same issues of disruption or really not being able to control the child. But again, you know, if you're three years old, um, that's not something the child should be punished for. That's something you have to work through. And are there any standards either at the state level or federal level or, or even amongst local school districts that govern how educators utilize suspensions? Yes. So there's there's a state education law, uh, 3214, uh, puts sort of the procedural limits on suspensions, and that's where there's no cap. You know, it can be up to 180 days, uh, and anything over uh, five days has to go through a hearing, um, which is a long-term, considered a long-term suspension. But then the rest of it is left up to local districts uh, in defining some of the more vague categories around disruption and metting out most of uh, what happens in suspensions beyond the, the sort of obvious violent incidents. And that's uh, in a district's code of conduct. 
Um, so the bill that we're proposing now, the Solutions Not Suspensions Bill, would amend both of those laws around sort of what are the, the total cap on suspensions and how they're used, and what are the specific local laws that are written, the codes of conduct, uh, and how we treat some of the minor incidents, and what alternatives do we have in place uh, so that we're replacing suspensions with something that's reparative and helping the child and, and not just pushing them out. Well, yeah, what is the purpose of a suspension right now? Is it about punishing a kid? Is it about getting a disruptive force out of a classroom? Is there some sort of rehabilitation element involved? Suspensions really are, are just a forced removal of a child. Whether or not there is any type of intervention to help that child is really separate from the suspension. And too often, we just see the kid is removed and there is no intervention or, or remedial action that's taken. Uh, and that has been proven again and again by research to be ineffective, but also be harmful to the student because they miss class time, they become alienated from the school and their peers. And really troubling, if you look down the line, the students who are suspended are more likely to be incarcerated and to drop out of school. You mentioned that they miss class time, but does state law require that students who are suspended still receive some sort of academic instruction, whether that's tutors or, or something else? They're entitled to a minimum of uh, 2.5 hours of instruction uh, when they're suspended each day. Um, but sometimes that's not always fulfilled and that's still not a full school day. So um, whether or not that's happening, a student will be falling behind during the time that they're suspended. And if a student is suspended for 10, 20, 30 days, they fall significantly behind and are very, very likely to fail some of their coursework. So is that an element that you'd like to see uh, addressed as well? Some sort of guarantee that kids are receiving that instruction and boosting the number of hours of instruction that they get while suspended? Yes, that's, that's a, another key component of the bill is that within 24 hours, there's an academic plan for that child to make sure that they're getting instruction, they're guaranteed instruction, uh, and that they're not falling behind. What I've read from your proposal is that you want to shorten the maximum suspension length from 180 days to uh, 20 days. Why is 20 days the sweet spot? So I wouldn't argue that 20 days is the sweet spot, but it's it's more about getting it as far down as we can. Um, you know, I think that with each day, and if you look at the research, each day a student is out, um, they've shown reading scores and math scores go down. So it's it's a, a cumulative effect that just gets worse and worse. So 20 is more of a compromise number. Really, there's no acceptable level of a student missing class, uh, but we want to put some guardrails around this. And that's really what the bill is about, is we know suspensions are ineffective and harmful, so we really need to limit their usage because there really is no safe amount for a kid. We want to get them down as much as possible. Well, for listeners just joining us, you're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're talking about school disciplinary procedures and their use in New York. And our guest is Eamon Scanlon, Education Policy Director for the Children's Agenda. So what's the alternative then to a suspension? How should a student be treated, say they're high schooler who gets in a fight uh, on a class trip or brings a, a weapon to school? So, you know, it really depends on each individual situation that what's going to be the most effective remedy. There's not some simple fix all here. But, but, but to be clear, you're saying it's never a suspension. 
Yeah, I, I would say that suspension is only going to be used in cases of a clear safety issue or to comply with federal law. It's not to say that um, that tool won't still be available, but it's not an effective tool. And so what you want to see is if there's, for instance, a child fighting, you know, what are we going to do to repair the relationship between the kids that are fighting so they don't just see each other in the hall and fight again a week later? You know, why are they fighting? What's, what's behind that? Is there some real stressful event that's happening in either of those child's lives uh, that's lending them to act out? And how are we addressing that and helping ameliorate whatever's behind that? So some of it is, uh, could be done through strengthening relationships, which a great program for that is restorative practices, which is about community building, about repairing harm uh, that's done to relationships and communities. And then there's a host of other interventions that schools have used for decades, like positive behavioral intervention supports, uh, the pyramid model, which has a series of interventions that get more progressively intense as the needs get in progressively intense, uh, and just simple counseling. So there's, there's a lot of different interventions that could be done. And then just to say on the separate side of consequences, you still need consequences and discipline for kids, but you don't want consequences that are harmful to their education. And so that's the separation we're trying to make here. Do schools have the capacity to take on things like restorative approaches to discipline right now? Yes. I mean, it's we don't want to put uh, unfunded mandates. We don't want educators to feel uh, you know, an unwarranted burden. But we do have a lot of money at this moment with um, the COVID dollars that districts got, with the increases in foundation aid and state aid um, that the state is committed to. So there is some financial flexibility. But if there are gaps, then we're going to need to invest more. And it's important to note that districts do spend money on discipline right now. And if we repurpose some of those dollars to more of alternatives, we've already got something built in. Um, so it's, it's certainly something that can be done. And some districts, some schools do an amazing job. So we have proof of it happening already right now. What would you say to people who might be skeptical of the data that you're presenting, probably based on either their own experience or just anecdotal accounts of kids being suspended and still going on to lead productive lives, some of them even becoming radio hosts that go on to interview people who work for the children's agenda. Mm. Would you tell them, you know, don't believe your, your lying eyes, trust the bigger picture? How would you go about convincing them? I'm actually skeptical of the numbers because I think they're an undercount. Uh, we know that there are students that are sent home more informally. And so this is not a, not a full picture. If anything, this is sort of a, a floor, a bottom of what might be the, the scope of the problem. And they're very consistent. I think that's the thing that's important here. This isn't just a one snapshot. There was a report in 2018 by the New York Equity Coalition that showed the same patterns, the same scale of the problem across New York State. Um, there's been uh, uh, national research that's shown this problem in every state. The disproportionality is very common. You know, we haven't talked as much about that. This is not sort of unique to New York State. It's not unique to the districts that we really honed in on. This is a, a national problem. I don't think they should be skeptical that there's some grand conspiracy. This is something that's very common and we really have to address it. And finally, what should be inferred from the racial and economic disparities in the use of suspension that your data highlights? Part of it is the way the laws are written that allow for these vague categories of, of why a child could be suspended in a code of conduct or at a local level. And that's where bias can creep in. And you may find one child's uh, behavior more threatening than another's child's. And so the same inequities, the same biases in society creep into schools through that vague language. 
And so eliminating some of those minor suspensions and the, the vague language is one way to cut down on that in, uh, inequitability um, of suspensions. And also there's, there's big disparities with kids with disabilities and that can be because those children aren't getting the right supports and they're more likely to act out because of it or their IEPs or their, um, their individualized education plans for a student disability is not being followed and, and behavior that is consistent with that disability is being punished. So there's, there's a lot of reasons to peel back on these disparities, um, but there are also solutions. And finally, as you try to push this legislation, uh, solutions, uh, not suspensions through Albany, who are your opponents? Is it school administrators who like the current system? Is it somebody else that I'm, I'm not thinking about? What, what's the hurdle here that you need to overcome? Definitely, you know, there are uh, skeptical school staff who don't want to take a tool out of the toolbox. And that's not really what this legislation does. It just puts guardrails and limitations on it. And it's, I think that within the administrators and, and, and the teaching community, they're, they're divided. There are great champions for alternatives and moving away from suspensions among educators. And there are those who are most more skeptical. So it's really about um, being able to sort of unite that community behind these changes. And we want as much support from teachers and administrators as possible because they're the ones who have to implement this. Well, we've been speaking with Eamon Scanlon, Education Policy Director for the Children's Agenda. Eamon, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, David. Anytime. Support for the Capitol Press Room is provided by New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals in education, human services, and health care.